But uh, the question was asked, do you believe this? So we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that he said, I'm going to rise. Then he said, do you believe this? And that, that becomes the linchpin of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's critical. Do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Now I'm going to tell you as we start that he rose bodily from the dead on the third day as he promised. And I'll tell you right now, I believe that. Now then, I want to take you to some passages in the New Testament. We'll use the book, the New Testament, and especially the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that will uh, detail the information that these men gave us in regard to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was introduced to this world by his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized him in the River Jordan close by the city of Jerusalem. And when he, when he baptized him, he said, this is the one that was promised. And he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And at that time, there was a voice from heaven that, that spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, after that, Jesus was taken up into a high mountain and uh, the Bible tells us these men recorded this information and that's basically what I want to emphasize. These men recorded what they heard and what they saw and what they were told by Jesus. These four, four individuals. One of them, or maybe two of them, had help with, from, from some of the eyewitnesses. So Mark and Luke may have had help from, from Paul and from Peter. But anyway, they recorded what they understood was said and done by Jesus. So they recorded the fact that Jesus was taken into a high mountain apart, Matthew chapter 4, and I'll be using Matthew mainly for the, for the context and for the, uh, to carry through the theme. But uh, he was taken by the devil up to, in, into a high mountain apart, and the devil said, If you are the Son of God, because Jesus was hungry, he said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, notice what he's saying. If you are the Son of God. He was asking for proof. If you are the Son of God. So, Jesus replied to him that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that come, proceeds from the mouth of God. And he asked him again. He took him up on the high, high pinnacle of the temple and said, if, if you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. And he, because it's written, and he quoted Scripture to him, it is written that they will catch you, catch you up, lest at any time you should dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus' reply was, from the Scriptures, he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, Shortly after this time, Jesus went into Galilee, and then he came back to Jerusalem. And while he was in Jerusalem, he came to the temple, and you can find the account in John chapter 2. He came to the temple, and uh, he, he found money changers in the temple area, and he found people that were trading livestock in the temple area. And it kind of reminded the readers and those who were there at the time of when Nehemiah was trying to purge the temple at the, when, when they were in Babylonian captivity and had come back after, after the restoration, which is about 400 years ago from the time of Jesus. Now, Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and he, he drove people out. And uh, 
the, the, the leaders of Israel, the nation of Israel to whom Jesus came, they came to him and said, give us a sign who you are. In other words, we want proof that you are who you say you are. And Jesus said in John chapter 2 and verse 19, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now, all the, all the writers are doing is telling us what Jesus said. Now, we can believe that or not. That's what we'll come down to later on, whether or not we believe the record that these men wrote. But regardless of that, they said, well, 40, 46 years or 45 years of this temple in the, in the building... And you're going to build it in three days, rebuild it in three days? They didn't understand that, nor did anybody else. Now later on, when Jesus was taken before the high priest, they, they brought that accusation against him that he said he was going to rebuild the temple, destroy the temple, and build it again in three days. But at this point, the leaders were asking him for proof. Give us proof. Now that's not necessarily wrong, for us to expect proof or demonstration of proof because Jesus came to give us proof but the people that were asking for it were asking with the wrong disposition they were asking it for it in the wrong way because Romans chapter 1 at verse 4 says he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness with power with the resurrection from the dead so he was declared to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Now then, that's the proof that Jesus is going to offer. He's going to say, I will prove to you that I am who I say I am by my resurrection. Now that's the essential and probably the only proof we have that Jesus is the Christ. Now, on three different occasions, on our chart I have listed on three different occasions, First of all, the leaders, that would be the chief priest and the elders and the Pharisees or the Sadducees, came to Jesus and said, show us a sign. Give us a sign that you are who you are. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 says, the certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from you. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. There should be no sign given it except for the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish or the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Now, that was the first time they came and asked it. On another occasion in Matthew chapter 16, he actually offers this proof and he says, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting him, desiring him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it's even, you say it will, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather, because the, the sky is red and lowering. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation. Now that's the second time he said that. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. But no sign will be given it except for that of the prophet Jonah. So the second time he said, it's the prophet Jonah. Now I'll remind you just very quickly that he said on, all th on three of these occasions, he's going to say it again in, in, a, in a, another text, 
in Luke chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. And it doesn't say that they came to him at that point, but it does say in Luke chapter 11 that he said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. No sign will be given it except that of the prophet Jonah. Now then, he's saying on all three of occasions, he's saying that, that he will give a sign, he will be in the grave three days and three nights, and will be raised. Now that's what they're recording. That's what, that's what Matthew heard. That's what Luke heard. That's what Mark heard. They heard him make that statement. Okay. Now then, it gets a little, little more interesting than this because he gets a little more specific about what, what's going to happen. The records we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have never been challenged or denied successfully. So what I'm saying, and I want to say it again, these men are simply telling us what they saw and what they heard. Now, no one has stood up and said, Matthew, you didn't hear that. No one has said, John, you didn't hear that. That's inaccurate. You're not, you're not putting it down accurately. Jesus never said that. No one has ever successfully denied that these men said that. Okay. It gets a little more specific then. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus then details how things are going to happen. So in Matthew chapter 12, well, let's see, let's start, I'm not, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16, I got behind myself then. It said, the Pharisees with the Sadducees came in, verse 21, the time, from that time forth, Jesus began to show to his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So what I want to point out here in Matthew 16, 21 is that he said, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be killed and resurrected the third day. Now if I were to tell you that I was going to die, that wouldn't be... A monumental statement would it wouldn't be a surprise sure I'm going to die but if I said I'm going to die Friday and Sunday morning I'm going to come back to life now that would be interesting wouldn't it not only if I tell you that's going to happen but I'm going to tell you that somehow I'm not just not going to die somebody's going to betray me somebody's going to take me by wicked hands Somebody's going to have a conspiracy against me, and somebody's going to mock me. Well, we'll look at all that in just a minute. I'm going to tell you all these things that are going to happen to me before I'm killed. So in, in chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 22, while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed. So now he's saying, I'm not only going to be killed, but I, I'm going to be betrayed. Somebody's going to be, betray me. And, and uh, I will be betrayed in the hands of men. I'll be handed over, is what this word betrayed means. I'm going to be handed over, and they shall kill him. He's, and I want you to notice that he uses the term, the Son of Man. So that may have had some uh, confusing merit to it. So they may not have been able to really put it together. But he does actually say, in the book of Luke, he does actually say, me, or I am going to be killed, and I will raise again. Now at Jerusalem... 
when he, when he uh, made his way to Jerusalem, and this was in Galilee, when he made his way to Jerusalem, he said again that I'm going to be betrayed, and we'll look in chapter 20 of the book of Matthew for this. He tells, he tells the disciples again, he said, when he went up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests. So he names the individuals that he'll be betrayed to. And unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him. So there's going to be some sort of a, of, of, of a tribunal, and they'll condemn him. They'll condemn him to death, and they will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. So now he's detailing how he's going to die. And they're saying he's going to be mocked, scourged, crucified, and condemned to die. He's, he's naming the, the type of death that he's, he's going to have to suffer. And in the last time in Matthew chapter 26 that I want to call your attention to, in Matthew 26 at verse 30, this is after he ate supper in Bethany. It says, When he had sung a song, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. As it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after that I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter denied it. Peter said, That's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, he had already denied it, and so had the other apostles denied it, that that's not going to happen. So what I want you to do is, is keep in mind the framework of the mind of the men that he's talking to. They are not convinced that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. That's their mindset. They don't believe it. As a matter of fact, Peter said... I deny that. that that's, that's, that's just not going to happen to you, Lord. That won't happen. So now then, he has in Galilee, he's told them, I'm going to die. Now he's, he's come close to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. Now he's in the city of Jerusalem itself. They've already come into the city. He's been carried in with the palm branches and sitting on the, on the foal of an ass. And they brought him in and cried hallelujah to him. And everybody has rejoiced about him. And now he's gone back out and he's gone to have supper with some friends. And he's saying, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be mocked and I'm going to be scourged and I'm going to be crucified. And they're saying, no. Peter's saying, no. Three times he said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen. And Jesus said, three times you'll deny me before the rooster crows. Okay, now then, my next chart says that he would be betrayed. Now, how did he know that? But regardless of that, without even taking that into consideration, that's part of the statement that he's made about his, his upcoming death. He's saying, I will be betrayed. Now, the text tells us in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 26 at verse 14, and, and the following, following verses, that he had a supper with Mary and Martha in the, in the house of Simon. And that's also given to us in another text in the New Testament. 
But he had a supper with them. In John chapter 12, it's, it's related to us, verse 1 through 8. But he had a supper with them, and at the close of the supper, he made that statement that he was going to be betrayed. And uh, at that point, that's when Judas Iscariot got up from supper. He was carrying the bag. He got up from supper, and he went to the chief priest, and he said, How much will you give me to betray him? Now, you have to keep in mind what Judas was thinking, because he wasn't, apparently, he wasn't serious about this. He wasn't really serious about what was going to happen. But he did indeed betray Jesus. He was betrayed after that supper. Then at Jerusalem, this, this was two days later during the Passover, so two days before Jesus was crucified is when they had the, the meal at the house of, of uh, Simon the leper in Bethany. And then in Jerusalem on the Passover, Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And during that time, there was one leaning upon his breast, and Jesus said there was, that, there, that he was going to be betrayed by someone who was dining with him. And they were asking, is it me, is it me, is it me? And when, finally, when, uh, when Judas asked, Jesus said, you have said, and so he went out and he betrayed him. Now, in Matthew chapter 26, the end of it, verse 47 through 56, it tells about his betrayal. Now, I'm not reading all these texts because I want to get through all of them to the point. But it tells about the betrayal, and the betrayal took place this way, that they sent an army out, an armed force of men, a unit out to get Jesus, and they came armed with swords and clubs and so forth. They came to get him, and Jesus said, the one that I kiss, that's the one. He betrayed him with a kiss. So he actually betrayed Jesus. Nobody has ever contested that. Nobody has ever risen up and said, in all the centuries that have passed, no one's ever risen up and said, no, Judas really didn't do that. So what we're saying is we have an accurate, dependable record that these men gave us. Judas did betray him. Now, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 through 10, Judas realized, all of a sudden, Judas realized what he had done. He came to the understanding that he had betrayed innocent blood. And he went back to the chief priest and he threw the money on the floor and he said, I can't take it. They said, well, we can't take it either because it's not lawful to take blood money into the treasury. So they took the money and they bought what was called a potter's field. You know what that is. A potter's field was a place where they took all the broken pottery and threw it out, discarded it. It wasn't, it wasn't a place good for anything. So... They bought the potter's field to bury the poor and those who had been dispossessed. Okay. So he was betrayed. We know that. And we know by historical records that he was betrayed. And nobody's ever said, no, Judas really never betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. And he took his own life for it. In addition to that, in Matthew chapter 14 at verse 50, we know that he was denied. And that's what he said. He was going to be denied. And Peter and the apostles said, not us. We're not going to deny you. We'll never deny you. Never deny you. But he was denied. And in chapter 14 at verse 15 of Mark, it said they all denied him and they all fled. Everyone. Now, whoever's writing this book must have known that he was putting himself in that same 
bad picture. Now, he's, he's not writing it to, to pump up his image. He's saying, we all took off. We all left. Nobody stood with him. Okay. And then Peter, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 through 75, Peter gained access, according to the account that, that we find in the book of John, Peter gained access to the inner courtyard, and while he was there, a young maiden came up and said, I know you, you're a Galilean. He said, no, no, you're mistaken. Later on, another young maiden came up, two of them, and one text says that one of the men did also, but they said, we know who you are, you're with, you're with the Galilean. And he said, no. And he began to warm himself at the fire. That they were warming stuff. It was the middle of the night. They came out in the middle of the night. Then someone else approached him and he, and he began to curse profanity. And he denied him. And at that point he heard the rooster crow and he saw Jesus look at him. Well, the only point I'm making here is that he was denied. These, these men, and Peter probably helped Mark write the book, these men rec recorded that Jesus was in fact denied. And he was rejected. Now that's what he said. He was going to be betrayed. Judas betrayed him. He was going to be handed over. That hasn't happened yet. He was going to be crucified, but he was going to be betrayed. So he was betrayed. And he was denied. All of his followers were offended and they left. And Peter denied him three times. And he was rejected. Matthew chapter 27 verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had, when the, when they had uh, bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. So now then, he's, he's, we're, we're seeing these things, these pieces fall into place. He was betrayed. He was taken into custody. He was denied. And now then he's being, he's being handed over to the, other, to the uh, Roman government. And now then we're going to find that some, something else is going to happen to him. But all these things he's telling them is going to happen. And they're saying, no, that can't happen to you. And I can understand that. I can understand why they're saying, well, that couldn't possibly happen to you. Look at the popularity they had when he came into the city. Why would they think that this would happen to Jesus? Well, here it's happening. All of a sudden it dawns on Judas, and what does he do? He goes out and hangs himself. It became a very serious matter to him at that point. What happened to the disciples? They all took off. As a matter of fact, one text says they went home. They took off. They were, they were fleeing. They were trying to get away. He was rejected. His own nation handed him over to the Romans. In John chapter 11, they'd had a, had a council about this before. And they'd, they'd said, uh, well, you know, it's better if one man die than the whole nation should perish. And so they'd already decided that they were going to give him up. That's in John chapter 11, verse 26 through 31. Now then, the next thing happens is that he's going to be crucified. You know, we, we don't think much about this, but the first thing that happened with Jesus before he's crucified is that he's going to be scourged. Uh, and we don't think a lot about the business of being scourged. What, meant, what that meant was that he was, being, he was going to be interrogated 
and he was going to be whipped and he was going to be pushed for confession. Now Pilate tried to release him three times. He tried to give him back three times because he could find no reason to kill him. Crucifixion was reserved for the basest of criminals, the worst criminals. They didn't crucify Roman citizens as a rule. They crucified slaves or servants who might have stolen from their masters. Or who might have, the, the, the Romans crucified those who were traitors to their government, but they didn't crucify ordinary individuals. And Pilate could not find anything in Jesus, any wrong in him to crucify him. So he said, I, I'll chastise him, which meant that he'll whip him a little bit. They said, no, crucify him. Crucify him. They wanted Jesus publicly humiliated. They had turned him over to the Romans. They said, we want you to kill him in the worst possible way. But in order for, for Pilate to do that, he had to find out if this man was guilty of what they said he was guilty of. They told him, of course, that he had said that in three days he was going to, he was going to raise that temple again. That didn't make any difference to Pilate. He said, what has he done? They said, well, he's been a traitor to the government. He says he's a king. And, and Pilate asked him about that in John 18. Now then, what happened at this point was, Pilate had to get a confession. So you know what he did? He stripped the clothing off of Jesus and he whipped him. And he interrogated him, trying to find out what did you do to cause them to want you to be crucified. And Jesus made no confession. He was as a lamb dumb before shears. He didn't say anything. And then he was taken by the, uh, his fellow Romans, the soldiers. Before that, of course, Pilate turned him over to Herod and let Herod talk to him for a while. But then he scourged him. Now, I don't know how brutal scourging was, but I understand it was something else. And it weakened him, I'm sure. And then he was, then he was uh, crucified. Now, he was, he was asked in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32, he was trying to carry his implement of death through the streets to get up to Golgotha. Now, I, I'm told that they, they had the upright already in the ground. And all he was carrying, and you sometimes see pictures of Jesus carrying the entire cross, and that's not accurate. He was carrying the cross piece. So they, they, they put the cross piece on him and had him carry it through town while everybody jeered and threw things at him. He couldn't carry it. Now, you know, I, I'm familiar with some of this, uh, not, not necessarily carrying my cross. I should be, but, I, but that's not what I'm talking about. When I was a young man in my early 20s, I worked for a power company and we put in transmission lines across the state of California, northern part of California. And they, they usually when they wanted to, to uh, build a, a transmission line, they would take the young bucks, which would be me and other fellows about my age, and they would have us carry the heavy equipment. And they, they had us carry the cross pieces, the cross arms. And they weighed 60 pounds, significantly. And I can remember carrying those cross pieces, carrying those cross arms on my back. There were double cross arms that made 60 pounds. And I recall carrying them 
up, up a mountain in the snow. And it was terrible. Now here was a man who had been beaten severely. I mean severely and probably lost a lot of blood. And they put that 60 pound weight on his back and asked him to take it up to Golgotha. And he couldn't. So they inscripted a man by the name of Simon Cyrene in Matthew chapter 27 verse 32. And they inscripted him and he, he carried the cross for Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 27, 33 through 35, the text says that he was crucified. And it describes what went on. Now that's not why I'm preaching this sermon this morning, to tell you what all went on at the cross. But what I do want to tell you is that he was crucified. That then The Bible says he was crucified. Nobody's ever denied that. This record of these men is clear and clean. He was crucified. And then he died. He died. About three o'clock in the afternoon he died. From the hour, what they call the sixth hour, which is noon, until three in the afternoon, the sky grew dark. And at that point, it's my understanding that God had to turn away in order to bear the sight of his son dying on the cross. But he died. Now, after he died, he was certified dead. Now today, if you die in the hospital, a physician will come in and will check your pulse and will certify you're dead. And they'll write down the time. Sometimes you don't have anybody close by, but sometimes somebody that has an official standing can determine whether or not you're actually dead. So, was Jesus actually dead? In John chapter 19, the same individuals, the leaders of the nation of Israel to whom Jesus came to save, came to to Pilate and they said, this deceiver said that in three days he's going to rise again. Now they knew what he said. Isn't that interesting? Because they'd been saying that he said he's going to rebuild the temple. Now they said, we know what he was saying. He said he's going to rise again. In three days he's going to get up. Bodily resurrection. They said, so that the last problem won't be as great as the first, see that he's dead. Break his legs. So they they sent a soldier out, or maybe two, and they, they usually used a mallet to break the legs of the transgressors, and apparently... The two thieves crucified on each side of Jesus had not undergone the scourging. They were guilty of what they did. So they were hung there, and the, the idea of the Romans was to let them hang there and suffer long enough until either the birds plucked their eyes out, or they just expired, or they couldn't breathe any longer because of the weight on their chest. But they weren't dead. So the soldiers came out and broke their legs, either with a mallet or with a club, which created enough trauma to put them to death. But Jesus, they said, was already dead. And you know what they did? One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. Now I want you to think about this because it's not like he just took his spear and pricked him. What they did in order to certify death, they pushed the spear up through his chest cavity to his heart. That's how they killed him. They pulled the spear out. So it wasn't just a little touch. They put the spear inside his body and pulled it out because they had to certify that this man was dead. And they did. And then 
He was buried by two good men. In John chapter 19, verse 38 through 42, two men came and asked for the body of Jesus. Two good men. Nicodemus was one, and Joseph of Arimathea was the other. And they took him and wound his body up. Now then, they're not going to wind a body that's not dead. They took him down for the cross. There had to be a lot of blood. They took him down for the cross. Uh, Joseph had brought a hundred pounds, a hundred weight of, uh, of mirror in order to, to treat his body. And so they then wrapped him up, bound him tightly as the, as the manner of the Jews was. They always buried someone the day they were killed or died. So they wound him up tight and they took him to a new tomb that was close by, Golgotha, where he was, a tomb that had never been used and put him in. That was Joseph's tomb. And then they, they rolled a stone in front of it. Now, in addition to that, the Jews were not convinced, or the, the leaders of Israel were not convinced that this thing was at an end yet. So they said, you know what? He said he's going to rise again. So what, what we need to do is make sure that he's really dead, that he stays there, and that they already knew he's really dead. But they said, we want to make sure that his disciples don't come and steal his body. And then we've got another problem. So in Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 through 66, I think it is, they, after certifying that he was dead, then they sealed the tomb and they set a watch. Now, a watch usually consisted of 60 Roman soldiers. Six old. A 24-hour watch. So they, they, took, they took turns two at a time every two hours. So they, they had a watch. And they were responsible for making sure that nothing took place. And then on Sunday morning, early on Sunday morning, he vacated the, the grave. He was gone. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 6, that the soldiers were there and the angel appeared to them and they fainted. They swooned. Probably just two of them at that time. The stone was rolled away and the tomb was emptied. Now, at this point, at this point on Sunday morning, some women came to the grave. And that was... Uh, for women. But before I get to that, maybe I ought to mention the fact that, that the soldiers went back and reported in Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 11 through 15, the soldiers went back and reported what had happened. And the chief priest and those in authority said, tell everybody that the disciples stole his body and we'll secure you. And they gave him money for that. Now the problem with that is if there were 60 of these guys, if, if it got back that, the, that they were overpowered, any, any group of them, any one of them, if anything happened to two of them, it happened to 60 of them. If anything happened to two of them, they were all guilty and they were all up on capital punishment. They would have been, they'd have lost their lives. If they had lost their charge, they would have lost their lives. So that rumor didn't get purchased much. It didn't get much ground. So you don't hear that much. You know, as a matter of fact, it was never heard from after that. It says in the text that that, that story kind of floated around, but it didn't get purchased. It couldn't, it, it couldn't get traction. Well, 
early that morning also, four women came to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary, probably the mother of Jesus, who is called Mary of James, Salome, and one named Joanna. Four women. They came to the grave. They found the grave empty. They ran back to tell the disciples. The disciples did not believe it. They did not believe it. And every text you read about them coming back and telling, they did not believe the story. But they got up and ran to see for themselves. And uh, Peter and John were in a race. And John got there first. Jesus was gone. Peter got their efforts. Jesus was gone. What did they do? They went back confused. That's what the text says. That's what, the, that's what this record says. They went back confused. They didn't want to believe. Mary Magdalene went back and Jesus appeared to her. And then, of course, she wanted to tell the story again, but nobody wanted to pay any attention to her. She said, I've seen him. But they didn't pay attention. Later that same day, well, it says also in John chapter 20, verse 10, uh, that they decided to go their way. After, after that happened, after Mary Magdalene came and talked to them, it said they, they decided to go their way. They figured it, it didn't happen. He didn't come back from the dead. Later that same day, in, in Luke chapter 24, and I have to go to this text now, but in Luke chapter 24, Jesus had risen, and he was on his way to, to Emmaus, which is close by Jerusalem. And he appeared to two disciples. One of their names was Cleopas. And the account is found in Luke 24, verse 13 through oh, about 38. He appeared to these two men and walked with them. And he began to teach them from the Scriptures how that Christ must suffer and be raised again the third day. They still didn't pay much attention to that. Then they came to a place where they were staying in Emmaus and they invited Jesus to come in and invited him for supper. So he ate supper with them. And the first thing he did was he broke the bread and gave to them. And it kind of dawned on them. They said, we know him. We know him from the breaking of the bread. Then he said, Feel me, touch me, handle me, put your hands on me. Now what I'm what I'm wanting to say to you is that if someone says to you that these men actually never really saw Jesus or had any empirical evidence that he was alive, remember what they're saying is that we actually put our hands on him. There was a there was a, a, a religious group in this country that was formed back in the nineteenth century where a man said that he saw Jesus, and he saw an angel, and he saw a golden book, and he had 11 other men with him who were supposed to see the same thing. Every one of these men said they saw it with the eye of faith, or they saw it spiritually. Jesus said to these men, I am not a spirit. Handle me. Touch me. Eat with me. Okay? So now then, these men are not they're not deluded. And the record says they weren't confused about that. They handled him. They handled him. Then he went into the city of Jerusalem where the rest of the disciples were. This is, this is two of them and some others that were in this place. 
He went back into the city of Jerusalem and he went into where the disciples were gathered together and he showed himself alive to them again. And he ate with them. Now, we're talking about a bodily resurrection. Jesus actually got out of the grave and walked away. Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with these men. He ate supper with them and he dined with those in Jerusalem. And there was one fellow that wasn't there. You remember what his name was? Thomas. And he said, and this was eight days later, Thomas said, hey, I don't buy any of that. Unless I can see him, I want to put my finger in his nail prints, and I want to put my hand in his side. Now, wow. So in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, he got to do that. Thomas got to do that. He came, he showed himself to Thomas and the rest, and they got to see it. Now Jesus met later on when he went to Galilee. This is just the start. Because he was with them about 40 days. But he went to Galilee and he told them he was going to go with them to Galilee. And he went to Galilee and in John chapter 21 it says that he came upon the Sea of Tiberias and he looked out and here were a couple of boats, fishermen. And he saw Peter and Andrew and he saw them out there and so he started a fire on the shore. Jesus did. And he called these men and he asked them to come in. And Peter was so startled, he, he, all of a sudden he realized that's Jesus. He took his clothes off and jumped in and swam to shore. And Jesus asked them if they'd had any, he said, children, have had anything to eat? And they said, no, he fixed them breakfast. Now would a spirit do that? They're not saying anything. The, the apostles are not saying that they were seeing him as a spiritual being. They're saying they're seeing him as an ordinary individual in a body. Is that correct? I'm emphasizing this, my friends, because there are a lot of people that will tell you that he did not come back bodily. But I don't believe that. I believe what these men said. Now, I haven't gotten to that point yet. But it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 that for 40 days he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And then he was taken up into heaven from the Mount Olivet in their sight. And he sent these men back to Jerusalem. He said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they went back to the city of Jerusalem. I don't know how many days. It couldn't have been over 10 days because this was the, this was the Feast of Jubilee and it lasted 50 days. So 40 days of this he's already used up and another 10 days could have been in that span. Regardless of that, the apostles then were endued with power from on high, and once they were endued to the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they got up, in Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, they preached that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Now that's the first time you read in the Bible that these men actually made that statement. So we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of all the accounts of these men about what went on. And now then they're going to say Jesus rose from the dead. And you know what that's going to do for them? It's going to get them in trouble. It's going to get them in a lot of trouble. And they were told on several occasions, don't do it. They were even cast into prison because of that. Don't preach that Jesus has 
risen from the dead because you're intending to bring His blood down upon our head. So he say, they're saying, don't preach. These men went out preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through verse 11, Paul said, in terms of the resurrection, that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. In addition to all the apostles, he was seen by another 500, and that wasn't a spiritual sight, that wasn't a belief sight, that wasn't what he told us to do. We just believe it because we have the testimony. These people actually saw Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights. They saw him, and they were willing to testify. And do you know what? Not in, in recorded history, not one individual ever said, even under duress and threat of their life, not one has ever said, no, that didn't happen. Not one. Not one denied that that happened. Now then, the question is, Bill, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, I do. I believe it. And Jesus said, blessed are those that believe, but blessed are those who have not seen, that have seen and believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And I'm one of those. I believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead, went back to heaven, and now sits on the right hand of God and rules in His kingdom. Let's sing a song of invitation. If you feel an urge to come forward and make your desires known, to make your life right with God, this is the time to do it.